You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. this morning um, and introduce myself just a little bit for maybe those that don't know who I am. Uh, my name is Gavin Barkus and I am the high school youth pastor here at Life Community. Um, and I have been given this opportunity once again this summer to come up and share with you guys. And you know, when you only do something once a year, there's a little bit more weight to it. Um, but I just want you all to know exactly how much I am excited to be here sharing with you guys. Uh, and I guess it means I didn't do too horribly last year because I got asked to come back. But anyways, over the last couple weeks, we have been in the book of Hebrews, and we've been taking a look at a lot of different really good topics. But if we were to summarize everything that we've looked at over the last six weeks, it would be that in Hebrews, it is all about Jesus being better than anyone or anything that this world could offer to us. And so I'm just going to go through the last six weeks and kind of look at just a brief summary of what they have all Looked like, And so the very first week was how Jesus is a better Savior than anything else in this world. Secondly, we looked at how he, how he is better than angels. Thirdly, how he provides a better way to live. Fourthly, how he is greater than Moses. And then these last few weeks, how he gives us a better rest and a better fear. And so that's where we are. You guys are all caught up. I expect you to know that. There will be a pop quiz later. But this week, we're going to be jumping into Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, and then we're going to go into chapter 5, and we'll end in verse 10. So if you want to get flipping there early, you can get started on that. But the topic of this week, and if you like to take notes, I love taking notes, this makes a great title. It's this, Jesus is a better sympathizer. And that leads me to our big idea for this morning. And again, this is worth writing down because I'm trying to weave it in and throughout everything that we talk about this morning. But our big idea is this. Jesus is our perfect and sympathetic high priest. I'll say it again. Jesus is our perfect and sympathetic high priest. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. But that's enough review. Let's get started. One of my favorite things to do, especially when I'm teaching our high school students, is to start out by telling a story. And so I want to share a story with you guys this morning about something that happened in my own personal life. And so I want to take you back to the date was December 22nd, 2011. I was 13 years old at the time, and I had just gotten home from basketball practice and was heading up the stairs uh, to get showered off and, and just hang out with the family, when all of a sudden my brother jumps out from around the corner and sticks a toy gun in my face. And so at that moment, I looked down at the gun, and I recognized it's our black handgun with the orange tip on it, and we only had one of those in the house. It was our broken airsoft gun. And so as I'm looking at this, I'm realizing the only thing a good big brother would do in this moment was pull it out of his hands, push him on the ground, and aim it back at him, and pull the trigger. Because in my head, I'm thinking, it's broken, it doesn't shoot hardly anything out of it, there's no sort of ammunition that's going to come out of this gun as I'm pointing it at my brother. But boy, was I wrong, because when I pulled that trigger, something did, in fact, come out of that gun, and it came out really fast, much faster than I had ever seen that gun shoot anything, even when it was brand new. And it came out super fast, because here's the thing that I didn't know. 
My dad had just been given a brand new CO2-powered airsoft gun for Christmas, and it had gotten there a few days early. And so that's the gun that I held pointed at my brother's face. And I will tell you, I aimed well because that little plastic BB came flying out of the gun and boom, hit him right in between the eyes. I thought about showing a picture, but he'd probably be mad if I did that. But he had a huge welt on his eyes. And at that moment, he took off running. And I knew exactly where he was going. He was going to find my mom. And so I had to follow him because he was going to make his side of the story known. And so I needed to make my side of the story known as well. And so the way my story went, at least in my head, was that I had acted out of self-defense and I had no idea that that gun was able to shoot any sort of ammunition out of it. And so obviously I don't think that's how it worked, but I had no intention of hurting my brother. And, and the reason I tell you this story is if you haven't picked up on it, I'm just not very good at sympathizing with other people. And so maybe some of you, as you're hearing that story, are relating with me of thinking in your head of a time in which maybe you weren't the greatest at sympathizing with someone else. I definitely wasn't good at it. Um, but as I, I tell you this, we have to realize that it's just the truth about humanity. Some of us are good at it, at good at sympathizing. Some of us just flat out stink at it. But the truth remains, one thing remains the same, no matter which part of the spectrum you fall, is that none of us are perfect at sympathizing. But I'll tell you this morning, I have someone in mind who is perfect at sympathizing, and he goes by the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he goes by a lot of different titles, from King of Kings to the Lamb of God to the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And all of these are great names, and they have a lot of meaning behind them. But today we're going to look at one specific name that is very powerful, especially if you're like me and you can't sympathize with people all too well. And the name that I'm talking about this morning that Jesus is known by is our great high priest. And so today we're going to take a look at why this name is important in two different main ideas. First, we're going to take a look at how he fulfills every role that a high priest would have needed to fulfill. And then secondly, how he transcends those roles. He goes above and beyond in typical Jesus fashion and becomes the greatest high priest that this world would have ever known. And so today, like I said, we're going to be in Hebrews, starting in chapter 4, verse 14, and going into chapter 5. And so would you read along with me as uh, I read this passage? It starts like this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Then going into chapter 5, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor upon himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was, unable to, who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, God, I just lift up this passage to you this morning. I lift up the, the words that I'm about to say, and I ask that they would not be from me, but they would be of you. And God, we know that you've already been preparing the hearts and minds of everyone that's hearing my voice at the moment. And we just are so excited for the ways that you are going to just penetrate into their lives and, and change them from the inside out. God, we ask all of these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we take a look at this passage of Hebrews and we look into even just the second verse, we see that Jesus is both our perfect high priest and our greatest sympathizer, which should not come as a surprise to any of you guys, because if you've been spending any time with us the last couple of weeks, we looked at in chapter two and three how Jesus is our high priest. We've already referenced that once, as well as we have the whole New Testament to read through and see all these different ways in which Jesus sympathized with people and he cared for the people that were around him. But we have the benefit in this modern day and age to have the whole Bible to look at and to, to live 2,000 years after Jesus. And so we have this benefit of knowing all of this already. But to this group, group of Hebrews that this author is writing to, these things would not have been so evident. Because you see, this group was made up of a bunch of former Jews and non-believers, and to them, they never would have probably seen Jesus do anything in person, and the only way they would have heard about him being sympathetic was through word-of-mouth stories. As well as they understood what a high priest was, they knew the roles of it because of their Jewish background, but they would have been sitting there questioning, why is this relevant to us today? And some of them might have even found themselves questioning, why is Jesus so important anyways? Why should we believe in some dead guy? I'm sure these questions were going through some of their heads before they got this letter of Hebrews. And so the reason that the author of Hebrews wrote all of these things is to make it clear that Jesus is both a perfect and a sympathetic high priest, and that there was more than enough proof for them to not just believe it, but to live it out and have their lives look like action and like have action steps for taking this belief and putting it into their everyday lives. And so the question that they might have been asking and the question that I want to answer with our two main points today is this, just how exactly is Jesus our perfect and sympathetic high priest? Well, to answer the first part of this, we have to take a look into the verses of 1 through 4 in chapter 5. And I know that I said we'd start in chapter 4, but I think we're going to leave those last three verses there in chapter 4 until the end because I think they're going to wrap us up really well. So no worries, we'll come back to them. I'm not skipping them entirely. But let's take a look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And so if we look in these Verses we see three distinct roles that a high priest would have fulfilled back in the Old Testament days. Starting with the first one is that they offered gifts and sacrifices to God for sins. And we see this there in verse 1. And so having the role of high priest, it was a very important role within the community. Because if you remember back in the Old Testament days, before Jesus came and died on the cross for us, the only way to be made right with God for your sins was by offering these gifts and sacrifices. And so the high priest would have done that. And if you think about the details that go into gifts and sacrifices, it's kind of a gross job. 
The, the high priest had to deal a lot with blood and dead animals, and, and I don't think everyone could have just stepped into this role and done it. It was not for the faint of heart. But here's the thing, it was an important role because this is how the, the tribes of Israel were made right with God is by doing these things, and the high priest was in charge of doing that. And so that's the first really quick role that a high priest had was they offered gifts and sacrifices to God. And then the second role that we can see is found in verses 2 and 3. And if we take a look at these, we can see that the high priest was supposed to deal gently with not just the sin, but with the sinner. And this wasn't, God didn't put this in place because he didn't want them hurting the people's feelings. But it was because we see in verse 3 that even the high priest had his own sins that he was dealing with. Verse 3 tells us that that, uh, the high priest had to deal with their own sin by sacrificing uh, an animal or whatever it was before anyone else's sins were dealt with. God wanted the high priest to remember that they were not better than any other human being just because they held the title high priest. And so their sacrifice was done in front of everyone that was there in attendance that day so that they would remember that that high priest, just because they have the title high priest, is not spotless or perfect. And if that was not enough, if, if making them go first with their own sacrifice was not enough to remind them to be compassionate and sympathetic, God also required them in Exodus 28 to wear a a breastplate and shoulder pads with these rocks with each of the names of the tribes of Israel inscribed on them. And the point of what God was doing here is that he literally put the weight of his people on their hearts and on their shoulders at all time. And it was supposed to remind them to act gently. And so that's the second rule is they were supposed to deal gently with the sin and the sinner. And then finally, the third role of the high priest in Old Testament times was actually nothing that they did on their own, but it was actually something that God did into their life. And so if we look at verse 4, we see that it shows us that no man was able to choose to become a high priest. You couldn't go to college for four years, major in ministry, get a job interview, and become a priest the same way that I became a pastor. It just didn't work out that way. No, instead, you had to be called into that position by God. These men were actually given this honor through their birthright because typically the high priest was the oldest son in the lineage of Aaron. And the last time I checked, you can't choose what order you were born in or who your biological father is. Only God can choose that. And so to become a high priest, you had to be appointed by God and given that position. And here's the thing. If you tried to take that position by yourself without God giving it to you, it never ended well. And so to just give you a few examples of people that tried to do this, um, I'll, I'll show you what happened to each of these people. Korah and his followers tried to take the priesthood away from Aaron in Numbers 16. And when they did this, they were literally swallowed up by a divine earthquake. I'm sure that was very shocking, but you have to remember they did it to themselves. If that's not enough for you, Saul in 1 Samuel 13 tried to offer burnt sacrifices to God by himself. And in that moment, God told him through the words of Samuel that he had appointed David to take his place as king. And finally, to really drive this point home, take a look at Isaiah He entered the temple and burned incense, and immediately in that moment, God gave him leprosy. And so for the rest of his days, he had to live in isolation because of his decision to try to take the priesthood upon himself. 
And so the point that I'm trying to make is that high priest was not a role that you could give to yourself or take for yourself, but instead only God could appoint someone as a high priest. And so that concludes our three roles of high priest. Just to review, what are the roles of high priest? Well, they needed to offer gifts and sacrifices. They needed to deal gently with the sin and the sinner. And they were only given the position by God. And so now that we've defined those roles, we can take them and we can place them side by side with Jesus, and we can see just how well he did at fulfilling each of these roles. And I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you. He did it perfectly. In typical Jesus fashion, he goes above and beyond any expectations that any high priest could have had for these roles. And so the second point that we're going to look at today, the second main idea, is just how exactly Jesus transcends each of these roles. And so, for whatever reason, the Hebrew writer talks about all three of these roles, but he doesn't go in the same order that he just went through in the the verses before. And so, we will touch on all three, but they're not in the same order. And so, stick with me over these next five verses as we kind of bounce around in uh, our passage. And so, if we take a look at verses 5 through 10, we see all three of these roles, starting with the first one that we mentioned a few minutes ago, that the high priest needed to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so, to see this, we have to jump down a few verses and start in verse 7. And so, in this verse, we see that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. And for a lot of scholars, including myself, I don't know if I'm really a scholar, but a lot of scholars, when they hear this, they think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. And during this time, we we know the story. Jesus is offering up these cries full of emotion to to God because he knows what he's going to have to do. He's wrestling with what he knows God wants him to do. And in this amazing moment, it shows us not only Jesus' humanity, but also his perfect obedience. Because the fact that Jesus is God, he knew everything that was coming to him. But because he's human, he knew how much pain and suffering he was about to go through. And so in this moment, he's asking God through his prayers and supplications for another option. He's asking for a way out of this pain and suffering. But do you see how the verse ends? It says that he was heard because of his reverence. This means that God heard his prayers and he still said no. But do you notice how Jesus responds? When God says no to his prayers, he listened and he was obedient. And this is a perfect example for us today. We can pray so many prayers, but there's going to be times in which God says no, and we need to be obedient in those times. And so because Jesus was obedient, he listened, and what he did next is he went to the cross where he acted in only the way that the greatest high priest could ever have, have acted, not by giving an animal for our sins, but he gave his perfect and spotless life for us, the ultimate sacrifice by the greatest high priest. And so that is how Jesus fulfilled that role. He transcended it, but he doesn't stop there. And so let's take a look at the second role in verses 8 through 10. If you remember what the second role was, it was that the high priest had to deal gently with not just the sin, but with the sinner. And let me ask you this, what did Jesus do for the sinner? Well, we're going to take a look at it. When you think about it, though, he was not obligated to do anything. He could have sat up in heaven on his throne and said, those humans got themselves into this situation. Let's see them get themselves out of it. But is that what Jesus did? No, not at all. In fact, he did quite the opposite because he came down from his throne and he became a lowly man. And he went through all the trials and temptations that we do on a daily basis in every stage of his life. I think we forget this sometimes. 
But Jesus, from a young boy to a teenager to a young man to an adult, was perfect, and he never once sinned in any of those stages. I just want you guys to imagine with me real fast a 15-year-old boy that never does anything ornery and gets himself into any sort of trouble. I personally can speak from experience as well as some other 15-year-old boys that I know, and it doesn't happen almost ever, but Jesus did it. He was the 15-year-old boy that somehow stayed out of trouble. And verse 8 tells us that he had to learn obedience. But because he was learning, even though he was learning, he still never failed. Verse 9 tells us then that he was perfect, that he never gave in to any form of sin or temptation. And the funny thing is, I hear a lot of times people say that, well, if Jesus lived in today's modern day, he probably would have sinned. Because today there's a lot more temptations that we have to face, whether that's the the bad, horrible things that happen on the internet or how commonplace drugs and alcohol are in our society. And a lot of people like to say that Jesus, because he just didn't have these things to worry about, got away a little easier than what we do today. But here's the thing. Those details maybe are specifically true. He didn't have to worry about the internet But I would argue that the core issues that Jesus was tempted with back then are still the same core issues that we are tempted with today. Because here's the thing, if you look in Matthew 4, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, Satan tempts him in three different ways. First, he tempts him to make food when he is hungry. Secondly, he tempts him to abuse his power of being God. And thirdly, he tempts him with worldly possessions. And so if you take those three temptations and you boil them down to their most simple forms, what Satan is tempting Jesus with is more comfort, more power, and more wealth. And if you take every temptation that we face today in this modern age and we boil it down to the the most core issue, I bet that promise or that temptation is promising you more comfort, you're going to be more comfortable, more power, and more wealth. And so I would say that Jesus knows exactly what we face on a daily basis. He's not going through, he never went through anything that we aren't already going through today. And so to say that Jesus doesn't know what you're facing would be a flat out lie. In fact, I think he actually faced temptation even greater than we ever possibly could. And why do I say that? Well, it's because he never gave in. If you think about Jesus' life, he never allowed any sin or pressure to overtake him. And the best way I can explain this is not by my own words, but by the very wise words of C.S. Lewis. And here's what he says. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. And so please don't be one of those people that says that Jesus was never tempted in the same ways that we are because I think he was tempted in the exact same ways and probably even greater because Satan would have loved it if Jesus would have messed up. And so he threw everything he had at him to try to make him cave. 
Yet all along the way, we see that Jesus remained obedient. And because of that, he was able to become our salvation, the very salvation that not only deals gently with the sinner, but saves the sinner. And so what did Jesus do for the sinner? He saved him. It's a great thing. Once again, Jesus transcends the role of a high priest. And finally, we can take a look at our third role for what the high priest needed to do. They needed to be appointed by God. And so to see how Jesus did in this, we skip back up a few verses to verse 5 and 6. And when we look at these verses, we see this very thing happening. You see here two Old Testament passages being stated. The first one comes from Psalm 2, 7, and it tells us that Jesus, while being a high priest, is also the Son of God. This was a role that he did not take upon himself, but it was given to him by God. And remember, to this crowd of Hebrews writing this, this would have been so weird to them because Jesus was not from the lineage of Aaron, but yet he was called a high priest. But he wasn't just called a high priest. He was called God. He is God. And so that's how you finish that argument is, okay, he's also a high priest, but he's God too. And then the second Old Testament we see there referenced is Psalm 110 verse 4. And the significance of this is that unlike any human priest ever that has a beginning and an end, Jesus is God, and so he is a forever priest. And this is good news for us because we have a forever intercessor who is sitting at the right hand of God rooting for us. And so with that, you can see that in all three roles, Jesus is not only fulfilling them, but he goes above any sort of metric or scale that you could try to measure him on, and he crushes it. Jesus, without a doubt, shows that he is the greatest high priest, the one and only perfect and sympathetic high priest. And so with having all of said, said all of that, we can finally look at the final part of this passage, which is actually the first part of this passage that we skipped over not too long ago. And in this section, it's kind of an application in a sort of way. And so let's skip back to chapter 4, starting in verse 14, going through verse 16. And if we look at verse 14, we can see the first thing that we should do. It tells us to hold fast to our confession. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you have had an inward change in your heart because of what he has done in your life, then you should continue to believe that. Maybe even in a greater sense than what you formerly did and why is it in a greater sense? Well, it's because we know that we have a sympathetic high priest that has gone through what we do day in and day out, and yet came out the other side of it perfect and obedient. And so that's the first little bit of application, is just continue to hold on to what you already believe about Jesus. But the second part gives us just a little bit more that we can do. And so verse 16 tells us that we are to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, guys. Not with fear because you don't think that you, you did enough, you think you're going to get punished. Not with doubt because you don't think you are enough, but with confidence because we have an intercessor in Jesus who sits beside God and says, you see that one? He has no more sin, no more shame. I did that. You see that one? Their sin has been paid. Their debt is gone. That is why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not because of anything that we could ever do but because of something that Jesus has already done. And so the next time you find yourself doubting, the next time you find yourself in need of some hope or joy or even just a little bit of comfort, 
run to the throne of grace because the God that sits on it thinks you are perfect, not because anything you did, but because of what Jesus did. And he wants to give you those things. And so today, as we leave from this place, keep that in mind, that nothing you could do could get you to God, but Jesus paved the way for us. He knows what we've gone through. He faced every temptation that we did. He transcended every role that a high priest possibly could have been given, and he did it perfectly obedient. And so because of that, we can run to him in our times of need, as well as point other people to him as well. That is who Jesus is, our perfect and sympathetic high priest. Jesus Christ. Amen.